So tonight, uh, what we want to talk about uh, to continue our series of week three is the opposite of hope. Um, And so if you have your Bibles, get them. We're going to be in them. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. It will be on the screen. Um, So Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, it's the first book in the New Testament. shouldn't be that hard to find. It's like two-thirds of the way back, maybe three-fourths, probably more accurate. And so to kind of preface, to kind of give like the setting and the environment of what's going on right now in this scripture is Jesus and his disciples are by the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. And so the Sea of Galilee is in modern-day Israel. Um, And so it's about 80 miles north of the Dead Sea. Everyone's pretty much heard of the Dead Sea. And it it has this, it, it can be also called a lake, so it's like a sea or a lake, whatever it is, the body water that is the Galilee. Um, And so what's cool about the Sea of Galilee is that surrounding it, there are these cliffs and these mountains, which creates like this bowl-like environment, which has these crazy storms that can come up and create these like really um, cool like cells of of weather, and it's really awesome. So that's where we're at, and and Jesus is about to dismiss the crowd. So Matthew chapter 8, verse... 23. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So they're like paddling out in the middle of the lake. And suddenly, suddenly, Matthew says, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the wind or so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, most of us can't really relate to this at all. Um, but they're in a situation, if you've ever been on a plane, if you've ever been in a boat, if you've ever been in maybe a hurricane, but if we're being serious, we don't really take hurricanes that seriously until they come and everyone pees themselves. Um, and, so, um, and so that's where they're at. Suddenly they are scared for their life. Like a plane drops out of the sky for a little bit, like a boat stuck in the middle of nowhere, like a bad hurricane that comes through. They are suddenly scared for their life. And if you kind of get this picture of what's happening, the water is coming into the boat. The waves are going over the boat, into the boat. The boat is filling up with water. The waves are rocking this boat all the way around. The wind is sweeping through this place. And the rain is coming down so hard that they can't see anything around them. And then the next sentence says, but Jesus was sleeping. But Jesus was sleeping. See, at the beginning of this year, I found myself in a very similar circumstance to what Matthew is describing here. I I, I was having some health problems. I didn't really know what was exactly going on. And so I was feeling very dizzy, very fatigued, very um, aggravated all the time, always tired. And didn't really know what was wrong. Um, I knew I wasn't doing my best in school, and, you know, it, it was just weird. So um, one of my family members was like, hey, Loudon, I think you have a uh, stomach ulcer. I was like, oh, okay, stomach ulcer. That's not that bad, I guess. Just take some medication and goes away. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor, and uh, I had known this guy literally since I was a baby. Um, and so we're talking. He's like, hey, Loudon, um, tell me about some of the experiences you're having about this, you know, your stomach ulcer that you think this is. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, sure, no problem. So I'm telling him about um, all this different type of stuff. And, and he's like, okay, okay. I, okay. And he's like, well, 
I, I have really good news for you, but I've also some bad news for you, too. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, what is it? Uh, you can just tell me. He's like, well, good news is you don't have a stomach ulcer. I was like, oh, that's good. And I was like, wait a minute, but what could be the bad news? He said, bad news is, and it's, it's kind of weird that I didn't think about this now, because what I know from you and from your life and from your family history and everything that's gone on in your life, you have an anxiety disorder, you have panic disorder, you have full-blown OCD, which plays in the part with to both of those, which you obsess over anxious thoughts, and you have secondary clinical depression. I was like, oh. Okay. And I, I just didn't know how to take that. And he said, and to add on to that, from what you're telling me and from everything I know about you, you've had these things since you were in middle school. He said, all you know is fear. You live your life in fear. Everything that you know of from middle school on is through a filter of fear. That's it. You know nothing else. And it took everything, and I mean everything, not to just break down. That brings me to my first point tonight. Fear is the opposite of hope. Fear is the opposite of hope because hope fills us and frees us while fear empties us and traps us. So this is all very new information for me. I didn't really know how to take this. So a couple, a couple of weeks went past, and during these next couple of weeks, I start looking back in circumstances and the memories I've had in my life, and all these memories just... Or I see my anxiety, I see my depression, I see all these different things. So now what's like, what I feel like I'm living in a falsehood. I feel like everything that I have seen, everything that I've done, everything has been through a filter that, that people don't really know who I am and I don't even know who I am. Because everything I know is fear. So after, after work one day, maybe it was a couple weeks later, I was sitting in the parking lot of my car. And, um, and man, it just, everything just started just to hit me. I started to realize that anxiety that I have, this fake fear that is anxiety, this false fear that I've been living in, defined me for so long. And I just started to break down and cry. And I felt hopeless. And I screamed at God. I said, God, if you have anything to do with this, take this away from me. Because if you're all sovereign, if you're all powerful, if you're all knowing, then why does this have to happen to me? I know there's worse things out there. I, I, I really know. I, there's nothing in my past that I've done that I feel like that I, I deserve this at all. There, there's nothing that I feel like I've been, li- I've been living a lie, basically. And now you want to throw this at me, God? I was about to turn on my car to go home. And I got this thought in my head. And I knew it wasn't my thought because over the past two weeks I've been just in this funk. And it was like, 
you can choose not to be afraid. I said, yeah, that helps. That's great. I can choose not to be afraid. No, you can choose not to be afraid. I kept hearing that. And I knew it was God. And I said, okay, God, if I can choose not to be afraid, then why am I afraid? Why am all my circumstances feel like they're coming down on me? Why does everything feel like it's closing and gripping to where I feel so much fear? And I feel hopeless. Explain that to me. And he said, and I knew this, his, this is the most God has ever talked to me in my life. And he said, how do you normally hear me? Well, normally I read the Bible. So I was like, okay, I'll open the Bible. It's the most cliche thing, God. Thank you. So I got on my phone and I typed in fear. Just searched it in the Uversion app. It's a great app. You should get it. Um, typed in fear. And I started scrolling through the different verses. And I came across this one verse. And I knew God wanted me to see it because things, you'll, you'll find coincidences don't really happen. So I stopped at Psalm 23, 4. Psalm 23.4. And Psalm 23.4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I was like, I know God, I know you're with me. Like I've, I've been a Christian for a while, I know you're with me. That doesn't make me feel any better. Like, I understand you're with me. I understand, like, I'm literally talking to you right now. I understand you're with me. I got this thought again. You didn't read it right. Okay. So I read it again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I saw something this time that was, it was weird that I didn't see the first time. You see, shadows, whether you realize it or not, whether you see a shadow follows you everywhere. And my fear has been following me everywhere. And, it's, and I didn't know about it. And yet, I still had so much confidence in God, even though I didn't know I had all these things. And so what came to my head is, This is how you choose not to be afraid. You've had all these things to begin with and you weren't afraid. But now that you know about them, you are afraid. But see, I am with you. And his last part is, your rod and your staff, they come for me. Basically, this is what I got. His authority, his... Everything that God is, all the power that he has... And you limit God's ability by having this fear, Loudon. You limit my ability. Because if I'm all-powerful, if I'm all-knowing, then you can go through anything. And I was like, oh, okay. 
you know, it makes me feel a little better, I guess. Another couple of weeks went past, and I had another doctor's appointment. So this time I'm going to a psychiatrist. This is a different doctor. Um, and, um, and this time it's just me supposed to be getting medication uh, for different kind of stuff. So if I'm going to be completely honest with you. So, um, so I was like, okay, should be simple. It's great. I l- love doctors. Um, so show up in the office. She had a real serious look on her face. And she's sitting down with me. She said, well, Loudon, tell me about what you're going through. And so I'm telling her about different stuff. And she said, okay, well, okay. And starts writing stuff down. I'm like, I don't know what she's doing. And she's like, well, tell me about your life. What's, ha- what is, what's happened in your life? So, you know, tell her about different things that have happened in my life. Okay. Write stuff down again. And there was a pause. And she looked at me. And she said, Loudon, I have one question for you. Yeah, yeah, doc, shoot. She's like, are you suicidal? No, I mean, you can be honest with me. Do you, do you want to kill yourself? I'm not trying to make a joke. You literally could have punched me in the face and I would not have moved. I was so scared. And I looked at her and I said, God, I don't want to be. And I don't know if anyone has had ever a panic attack, but and statistics say probably a lot of people in this room have had it. Not the majority, but a lot. But part of my panic disorder is what it is, is I have panic attacks. So that day, I had the worst panic attack I've ever had in my life. I went home from the doctor, and I don't know what it feels like with other people who have panic attacks. What only I know from my experience is you literally feel like you are going to die. That, that's the best way I can describe it. Because, and it's not like this. It's not like a girl that's in Starbucks, and she, like, gets a caramel crap of a latte, and then... And then whatever, and then she spills it on some dude, and she's like, oh, my God, Rebecca, I thought I was going to die. Like, no, that's not, that's not what it feels like. If you, could, if you could look at it and you put, like, the timeline of my life. Like, normally people can, like, think about, like, where they're going to have dinner for, like, what they're going to have for dinner for tonight. No, no, no. When I'm having a panic attack, literally, I can only see about five minutes. That's about it. Like, me standing here today, I could not see September. I couldn't. There, there was no, there's nothing. There was no September in my mind. All I could see was five minutes, if that. And that day was about one minute. See, about one minute. And I was so afraid. But see, what I've experienced about panic attacks when I kind of knew and I had I was gaining knowledge about them is they're kind of like trains because you can't really stop them once they're going but you can redirect them and so what I was doing I was like okay I'm going to redirect them so it's like how am I going to redirect this uh, my family okay thinking about my family um okay thinking about my family my family's great oh they're good and I keep thinking about it nope this makes me more anxious can't think about it 
Um, can't think about my family. I can't do this. Um, so I'm like, okay, we've got to think about something else. Got to think about something else. And what came across my mind was soccer. And so I was like, soccer. Okay, great, soccer. I love soccer. Soccer's great. So I'm thinking about soccer. I'm thinking about what I, the goals in high school that I've been participated in and, like, I've scored and, like, the different goals I've had for club and, like, the different experiences and the environments that were created in the stadiums and all this kind of really cool stuff because, you know, I'm just doing anything to kind of keep my mind off situations and circumstances. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking and I'm thinking about practices and the different practices I've had. And I came across this one memory. And... This one memory of my practice when I had about eighth or ninth grade, um, and and one of my coaches, Raphael, he was he was teaching us like this skill, and it wasn't like this physical trick. It was like a very it was a very mental skill, a very mental part of the game, and he he kind of named it a little something different. I named it a little something different along the years, but what it's called it's called the power of the pause. Now I want everyone to say the power of the pause. Oh, that was weak. The power of the pause. That was good. Okay, the power of the pause. So the power of the pause works like this. So when the ball is passed to you from a teammate, now prerequisite for the power of the pause, you kind of be a little bit experienced, kind of decent at the game. Um, Just prerequisite. But when the ball comes to you, because you should generally know where the ball is going, if the ball is passed to you. When the ball comes to you, you should first position yourself to receive the ball, obviously. And then once you position yourself to receive the ball, you look up, and it's for a split second. And when you look up, here's what you see. You see the defenders, and you see your teammates, and you see all where they're running and their spaces they're running into. And so you can kind of create this image in your head of where you're going to go next. And so if I don't take this pause, I'm in trouble because now the ball is at my feet, and I'll probably get it stolen away from me. And that's not good. That's not good for me. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to pause. Because even though I can't see through anything right now, that's all I'm going to worry about is trying to pause. If you go back to the scripture, the last verse we read was, but Jesus was sleeping. See, I don't actually believe Jesus was sleeping. See, you got to remember, it's from Matthew's point of view. When he's looking at Jesus, it looks like he's asleep because of all the rain coming down, you have all the winds, the waves are pouring down. But I think, he's do, I think Jesus isn't sleeping because I think he's doing that one thing that you've all done in your life when your mom or dad, whoever takes care of you, walks in the room late at night and you do that like fake sleep. You like pretend like you're asleep, like that one eye open sleep. I think he's doing that. But maybe even more than that, I think he's pausing. Because I think he knows exactly where they are. I think he knows exactly where the boat's going. I think he knows exactly how much water's in the boat. I don't think he's sleeping. Verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. And he replied, You, of little faith, why are you so afraid? And I I bet Peter was just like, I'll take this one. And he's like, 
You know, God, I'm afraid because I feel like I feel like we're going to drown. I feel like we're going to go under. What do you mean, why are we afraid? What do you mean, why are we afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed, and they asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, in order to understand that last part of the scripture, you kind of got to understand um, a lot about the gospels, and primarily the gospel of Mark, which is it's basically it's basically Peter's gospel because Peter and Mark were believed to travel together. But Mark's the one that wrote it down. But anyway, so in the in the gospel of Mark, it basically says this: See, they were afraid of the storm. They were afraid they were going to drown. They were afraid that they weren't going to make it. But then when Jesus calmed the storm, they were more afraid of him than they were that storm. And you see, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we should have so much reverence for God. We should have so much, no one knows what that word reverence, it's like a healthy fear. It's like an awe. It's like, oh my gosh. Maybe we should have so much reverence for God that our problems and our circumstances just fade in comparison. Here's here's what I know about fear. Fear loses power in the presence of God. Fear and God do not go together. Maybe you should have so much reverence, so much awe of God that everything that could possibly be going on in your life fades in comparison. And they had, they had another experience a couple chapters later in Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verse 22. This is another very famous, very popular story. Um, and most of you have probably heard this. And there, it's the same situation. They're by the Sea of Galilee. Just a lot of his ministry. Um, this is a later time. It's a little bit later. Um, same deal, same setting. And so, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, do you know, I have, do you know why Jesus had to make them get into the boat? Because the disciples remember the last time that they were in a boat with Jesus, and it did not go well at all. Because they thought they were going to drown, and they thought Jesus was sleeping, because they, because, you know, Jesus thought it was some kind of, carnival cruise that he's on the Lido deck and he's just having a little nice nap but see here's the thing we're not getting in the boat with you Jesus because we don't get with boats in you we don't get in boats with you anymore we don't do that because you kind of left us hanging a little bit and we were scared after you calmed the storm (laughs) and then immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on to the other side while he dismissed the crowd And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was all alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. See, now they're in a different storm, and it's not like the one they had uh, in the previous experience. What they're going through now is they're going through a headwind. Now, 
headwind is literally what it sounds like. The wind's coming against you, um, and it's pulling the boat back. They're literally rowing in place. This is the first, like, rowing machine ever invented in the life. They are going nowhere. And a lot of times, in our fear and our circumstances, we feel like we're going nowhere. Because we get the call. We said, Jesus, you know, we, we, we hear what you have for our life. We hear what we, we what you've promised of us. And yet, you know what? I'm looking around and we're going nowhere. Why? Why, why are we going nowhere, Jesus? What's the point of this? Because I feel like I'm going nowhere. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. <laughs> now, if, when I hear that, normally I'm thinking like, they should have enough, they should know enough about Jesus and what he's done to be like, oh, he's just, he's just doing Jesus things. He's walking on the lake. But no, that's not what they say at all. They say, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And it's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. They cried out in fear. But see, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. So they're like, wait a minute, Jesus. So you you weren't with us, but you were watching us? Yeah. Because one day, I will not be physically with you, but I will be watching you. And just as I had complete control in the boat when I was pretending to be asleep or was asleep in the boat, either way, and just as I had complete control of everything that was going on in the boat when I wasn't in the boat, he too has complete control of whatever going on in your life. He has complete control. Because he knows where we are going. That brings me to another point. We can't live life without fear. We can't. But we can move through our fear with God. We can't live life without fear. But we can move through our fear with God. And see, the good news for us, even after all these experiences that, that the disciples had with Jesus... They, they still didn't learn that they didn't have to be afraid. Because when Jesus was arrested to be killed, they ran away in fear. And they went back to the things that they knew best. And Jesus carried an 80-pound cross up on a mountain where he was going to die. But I bet you any amount of money it weighed more than 80 pounds in his heart. Because imagine the pain and the fear of the world in one man. I bet you it weighed more in his heart. And then he was nailed to a cross. And his last words before he died were, it is finished. 
And see, everyone that was there thought that he was talking about his life. See, in actuality, he was talking about ours. He was saying, let me tell you what defines you now. You see, it's not your anxieties. It's not your depression. It's not your loneliness. It's not what college you go to. It's not your grades, even though the world loves to tell you that. It's not who your friends are, but that's a different sermon. It's not what that girl or that boy says about you. It's not what that teacher says about you. And it's definitely not your fear. But what actually defines you is who you are in me. And that's loved and that's beautiful and that is more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. And then Jesus died. And they, everyone saw their hope die on a cross. Because everything that they hoped in was now dead. And the whole world paused for three days. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And the disciples finally understood that they did not have to be afraid even when they felt afraid because the ultimate fear of death had been defeated by a risen Savior. Because now the symbol of death, the symbol of fear was now the symbol of hope. Because now, what do we have to be afraid of? Now, for me, I wish I could tell you that every day is just rainbows and unicorns. That every day I wake up and there's just, it's, it's just great. I, I can't say that. I, I, every day I feel like I wake up, I get punched in the face by fear and anxiety and depression and all this different type of stuff. I wish I could tell you that everything is good. But I can tell you this. That even though I feel afraid, and even though I feel hopeless, I am not. Because I choose, and so can you, that even if I feel afraid, I don't have to be afraid. Even when I feel afraid, I don't have to be afraid. And if I, if I had the choice from a life of no anxiety, no depression... Um, no fear versus my life I have now. I would choose mine a hundred times out of a hundred, a thousand times out of a thousand. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you should be like, oh, hey mom, I heard anxiety and depression is buy one, get one at Publix. You know, I feel like I really want to go get that. No, no, no. That's, that's not an admirable thing to have. Like, I, I don't advise that for anyone. But I will say this. That through that, I've now realized where my ultimate hope is. Because sometimes it takes a storm to feel and to understand where your hope is, but it doesn't have to. 
because you can choose that even when you feel afraid, you don't have to be afraid. So I want to ask you a question. And be honest with yourself. What is your boat? What is that thing that you're most afraid of? Is it losing a parent or a family member? Is it losing another parent or family member? Is it not getting into that school? Is it you feel like you're not living up to your expectations or someone telling you you're not living up to your own expectations? Is it your hopes and dreams coming crashing down? Is it the rejection from a person that you thought was your hope, your everything? Is it your loneliness? Maybe it's your failure. Or maybe it's something else completely. But what's your boat? I just want to tell you, on behalf of the creator of the universe, and Jesus, your savior, that even when you feel afraid, you don't have to be afraid. Because God, the ultimate hope, is with you. So, tonight, maybe there's some people in here that have never put their ultimate hope in God. Maybe fear in your past and your circumstances has defined everything you are. But maybe tonight you want to decide that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And you can decide that fear is not your master. So I want everyone to bow their heads. And on the count of three, if that's you, if you today suddenly want to decide that you are putting your ultimate hope in God, I want you to raise your hand. And no one's looking. One, God loves you. Two, you have nothing to be afraid of anymore. Three, raise your hand. Okay, you can put your hands down. Uh, With your eyes still closed, I want you to say this prayer with me. People that raised your hand. Now, it's not the prayer that saves you, but believing in your heart. So say this. Say this with me to yourself. Jesus, I am yours. I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I believe Jesus died and rose again so I could have a relationship with you. Today, I have decided to follow you. No turning back. From today, forward forever, and looking back, never. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, can we give a round of applause for people that gave their life to Christ tonight? Yes, absolutely.